You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, really just about anything at all that has to do with trucking or business or money, even personal development, health and fitness, you name it, we'll tackle it here on the air. All you have to do is join us. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Uh, I've been talking a lot lately about the current book that I'm working on. Um, We are going to be doing a book review and a podcast on this on my new show called The Road Scholar. So I'll let you know about that coming up. The book, I've, I've mentioned it several times, I've been talking about it, is all about willpower. And the author is a uh, professor at Stanford University, and she's taught this course for years. It's one of the most popular courses uh, at Stanford. Uh, I'm reading the book right now. They also offer the course online. I'm actually starting that course online in February. Lisa and I are working through it. So I'll have a lot more. But one of the interesting things that I learned today, and I've been reading this book while I've been working on my own willpower and some of my goals and challenges. And one of them was to, I I have two big goals, challenges that I'm working on right now. Um, One is just to get fit again, which means I've got to get some exercise in during the day and eat a little better. We're mostly good about eating. When we get too busy, we tend to get lazy too. But for the most part, uh, eating isn't a big challenge for me. Uh, exercise is, and I've been doing really good. In fact, I've started and stopped exercising a thousand times in my life, literally. Most of the time I stay pretty good, but when I get busy at work, it's one of the first things I tend to uh, just skip. And that's a huge mistake. And I can see it. I can look back now and see when I'm exercising, even though it's taking time away from the day and I feel like I'm just strapped for time, ultimately I end up being much more productive at work. It's I've talked before about counterintuitive thinking, and this is one of those areas. You know, I look at my schedule every day and I think I'm just swamped. I'm falling behind on work. I have all these projects. I need to do this and this and this and this. And by the end of the day, I'm going to run out of time. So I can't possibly take an hour and go work out. But when I do take the hour and work out and not right away, not the first day. In fact, the first couple of days actually made my productivity less because I was so out of shape that working out just exhausted me. Even an easy workout exhausted me and I was less productive and, and I had to push through that and it didn't take long couple weeks, really. I mean, I've been at this less than two months. And my first month, I wasn't real consistent. This month, I'm doing really well. In fact, uh, we are on day 14. 
and I have 11 days of working out and 10 of those are consecutive. The last 10 days, I haven't skipped my one hour of activity at all. So I'm getting more consistent. I'm also seeing that I am much, much more productive at work, even though I'm taking more time away from my desk and from work because I have more energy, I'm more alert, I'm making better decisions. I can really see the change. So there's definitely some momentum going on. So the book, um, the lesson that I got from it today was really pretty powerful. Now, the one thing I want to encourage you to do is to, if you're interested in this topic, go get the book, listen to it, read it, whatever you have to do. Um, it is called Willpower. I'll find the uh, subtitle here in a second. And it's uh, the author is Kelly McGonigal. The reason I want you to read it is because when I come on every day and I give you a couple highlights through what I've learned, I don't have time to give you all the background that I read in that chapter. And I can tell you that it's the background that convinces me how important some of this stuff is and gives me a much better understanding of it. Normally, would I come on and just give you a couple of the highlights, the lesson I you know, picked up on, but, but you're not getting enough deep understanding. I Even reading the whole chapter, I'm not getting enough. That's why I'm going to take the course, so I'm going to read the book again. Um, so go get the book and listen to it. Read it if you're interested in this. I, I can tell you that of all the books I've read on development, self-improvement, leadership, business, all those things, there have been thousands, over a thousand, that this is definitely in my top five of all time and probably one of the, the best books I think I've read in about 10 years. And, and I'm not exaggerating on that. This book really hit home with me and is really helping me understand my own behaviors much better what affects me and behaviors of other people and what affects them and how to motivate. And, and it's very difficult to motivate other people, but we can influence other people. And one of my top strengths, my top strength, by the way, um, in all the strengths tests I take is I, I'm an influencer. That's what I do. I, I help people change. I influence them to do things in a good way. I hope I don't want to use that you know, influence people to do bad things. Um, so I, I can certainly see in this book behaviors that I, you know, I've heard some of this stuff before, but I always thought, well, that's not me. And we, I think we all tend to do that. How many of you raise your hand right now? How many of you feel like um, you're not really influenced by advertising? I think that all the time. Oh, that doesn't influence me. I buy things that I want. And if I don't really want it, you can't influence me with an ad or an endorsement or, you know what? It's not true. We are all so influenced by everything we see every day. There's probably, you're never going to change that. But what I'm learning in the book is by being aware of it and recognizing it, then I can, I can uh, influence my own behavior better. I, I will still be affected by all these things, but if I notice it, pay attention to it, I can make better decisions. So what I learned today was that 
one of the strongest influencers we have is our tribe. Now, I, I use that word a lot. Believe it or not, I've had people tell me they're offended by that word. They don't like the word tribe. I don't know why. I love it. I, I think it's very descriptive and it makes a lot of sense. Our behaviors were defined and created over hundreds of thousands of years. And if you look at history, most of that time, we were a part of a very small tribe. That's how society worked. That's what we mean by tribe, the group of people you were surrounded by. It's only been in the last couple hundred years, and that's a nanosecond in history, that we started blending the tribes a lot. And that's really changed things. So if you look at the original tribes, they, they tend to follow our ethnicity, that those are the groups that we came from. And it was based on geography. You were part of a tribe based on where you were born and who was around. And travel wasn't easy. So you didn't really have a lot of mixing of tribes, very little of it. Now, think about it. What, what was the first time there was, re and there may be some other time in history that I'm not aware of, but one of the, the most visible times when we had a lot of blending of tribes was when the United States was formed. We were the melting pot. We still are in a lot of ways. And if you look around now, you can see that happening. But think about the early days of, of the United States. And, and a lot of this is still left over. Think about stereotypes. And you know what? Stereotypes exist for a reason. Stereotypes are there because they're pretty accurate. Now, I'll pick on myself first. I'm Irish and Scotch. We're a bunch of drunks. All right, come on. Isn't that the stereotype? But there's a reason for that. They... Ireland has a lot of bars and pubs and people spend a lot of time there and they do drink a lot. And they brought that over with them. And we might say, well, that's derogatory. So what? It's true. Now, it doesn't mean it's true of every Irish person. That's what we have to start understanding is don't be offended by those things. Who cares? Care if everybody says Irishmen are all drunks. So what? I'm not. I drink once in a while. I don't think I've ever drank to excess, not since I've been out of the military anyway. But think about all the ethnic stereotypes that happened because that tribe had spent hundreds of thousands of years together. They all acted very similar. I've got much more to say. Stick around. I'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. All right, so I'm talking about tribes and how it really, really shapes our behavior. And if we go back in history, we can clearly see that. So if you look at at ethnicities, those were the original tribes. And, and coming to the U.S., we had the melting pot. We've mixed that up tremendously. It's interesting to look around. But think about ethnic groups. They tend to eat the same foods. Now, you could say, well, that's because that's what was there. Yeah, that's true. But many times, even with the same ingredients, ethnic groups came up with very different food. But it also it it shaped what you were, what you liked and what you enjoyed. And many people have a very hard time moving beyond those things. So it, it shaped the food we eat, the music we listen to is in musical background very different from different ethnic groups um i don't think the uh the italians uh listen to much polka but there are certainly some ethnic groups who do and still to this day a lot of those things persist so food music hobbies um vocations the type of jobs isn't there even a pretty strong ethnic connection to the type of job people get sometimes. Now, look, don't, don't try to find absolutes here. There are none. We're just looking at the, the averages and the norms. There will always be exceptions. And the more we blend these tribes, the, the exceptions become the norm. But if you look at true tribes, you can see that all of those things were affected. Now, why am I talking about this? It doesn't matter. We're all here in the U.S. now. Um, the, the ethnic groups are being kind of dissolved and assimilated and we really are the melting pot. Well, here's the reason why we are still very, very tribal. It's just how our tribe gets made up is very different today. Like I said, in the beginning, you were just, it was where you happen to be born. That's the tribe you would belong to. That's the tribe you would spend most of your life with. And that's the tribe that would influence most of your behaviors. Then after the automobile came about, now we have much more mobility and travel. So we had people coming from other countries to this country. We had an automobile. We were able to travel. Now we started driving to work. Whereas before, we used to work right in our own little space with the rest of our tribe because you couldn't get very far in a day without some sort of transportation. So as transportation expanded, our tribes changed dramatically. Um, for most people, your tribe became who you went to school with for a very long time. And after school, um, after high school, maybe your tribe was college. That's a very strong tribal bound or uh, happened in college and the military. For me, it was the military. I was surrounded by people in the military at that time. That became my tribe. It absolutely changed my behavior. Now, I would love to say, and we all do, oh, no, it didn't really affect me. I'm an independent thinker, and I am, but it absolutely affected me, no question. Then when we get out of the military or we get out of school, what defines our tribe after that? Usually, um, 
I would say the first is work. And, and I could be wrong. I'm just guessing on this. I haven't read any studies, but I, I would say probably work. We spend a lot of time with people at work, and that tends to affect our tribe. Uh, for me, that was never the case. I, I really haven't worked in a place ever, or very, very little, where you saw the same people day in and day out, built those relationships. Uh, I've always either driven truck or worked at home. So I'm not surrounded by people at work so much. Uh, so the next one, I think, is probably, again, geographic, your neighborhood, or it could be interest that you have. If you are an avid golfer, um, your tribe may be made up of a lot of people who play golf. If you like to play cards, maybe you found other people and, and you get together and play cards. That becomes your tribe. So there's lots of different ways that tribes started to form. But the point is, look around at your tribe because that's a, there's a good indication there that many of your behaviors are influenced directly, in most cases and indirectly in other cases, by that tribe. Well, now, what's the newest change in the way tribes are formed? Yeah, you got it. It's the Internet. Now. Now we don't even have to travel. We don't have to get in a vehicle and go to a different physical location anymore to be a part of a tribe. We can sit at our desk. We can sit in our vehicle with a phone in our hand. We are so connected now digitally. It's a very different kind of connection, but it's still a connection and it still has a huge influence on our behavior. But now if you were interested in raising yaks and producing yak milk, you can find a group online that could be your tribe. Now, there may be one person, you know, in your state. There may only be 10 in the whole country, but maybe there's 100 in the world. Who knows? But the Internet is really, really changing how tribes are formed and how they interact as well. Um, that we've seen a lot of that in our business and I'm really starting to understand it much better now. I've been looking at the people who follow us a lot, the really loyal tribe members, people who use profit gauges, I can see their numbers. People who use fuel gauges, I can see their numbers. People who come to the CMC, I get to interact with them a lot. I follow them on Facebook and, and kind of pay attention to what they're doing. And I was seeing some amazing results. People who were really struggling with their business before making very positive changes, knowing their numbers, starting to understand them. We have groups now built around rates and lanes, and I see tremendous improvement. Uh, we have groups around health, and people are hitting goals that they said they've struggled with all their life. It, it really points out how powerful the tribe effect really is. Now, we can use it for good, which is what I'm trying to do. The tribe effect can also be horrible. Um, look around, and if you're not getting good results in any area of your life, whether it's money, your health, your weight, uh, whatever it might be, your relationships, your family, there's a good chance that the people you spend a lot of time with struggle with all those same things. So, Something to think about. I'm going to be talking a lot more about this, but it's something to really pay attention to and decide is the tribe you associate with and relate to, 
Is it really helping you to get where you want to be? Or is it is it hurting you? And, and you know what? Where you want to be is totally up to you. If you are very happy and comfortable in a place where other people might think they're bad habits, so what? I, I, where you want to be is up to you. What I want you to understand is if you're unhappy where you are, there is a big influence from the people around you. And if you want to improve or be happier, seek out people who act that way and, and value the same things you value. Let's get to some phone calls. Let's head off to Missouri to get started today. Scott, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What can I help you with? Well, we're going to keep our authority a while longer. We were able to negotiate something with the insurance company to remain insured on the step deck. We're working more lately. I got tied up talking about groups, but a couple of hotshot truck groups on Facebook. And just wondering how many hotshot haulers we have in, uh, in Let's Truck. And if they could give me some idea of kind of freight, a race I could expect, and where predominantly I can find it, where it goes, what it is. Because I'm still... Okay. Still struggling. I'm going to get my hazmat. In case worse comes to worse, I can always go to Landstar. That's going to be my fallback. The other company, I just, they inspected the truck after it came out of my DOT inspection and found a bunch of stuff wrong with it. Insisted that they would fix it because they didn't trust my mechanic. And telling me, well, you can just pay as you go. It's like, I think. Their principle is to get somebody in debt as soon as they come to work. And I just, you know, we talked it over and it was just not the way to go. Okay. So I'm not really aware of a lot of hot shotters that, that listen to the show or follow what we do. I know we certainly have some, no question. And we may have way more than what I think, but until we can figure out a way to kind of get them together, uh, it's going to be hard to say. So did you say you are a part of a, a couple groups on Facebook? A couple of them, but. Okay. Hold, hold that thought. The music's playing. I'm going to come back to you right after the break. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The phone number here, if you need anything from us, we're here to help. 855-800-FUEL. 855-800-3835. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I'm going to go right back to the phones. I was in Missouri talking to Scott. Scott, you still with me? Yes, I am. Okay. So the groups you found so far, uh, how, a lot of members, pretty active. What are you finding so far? Well, I'm finding it's the same people all the time. And mainly they are running F-350s, uh, Cummins Dooley's, that sort of thing. There's a few that have got single axle internationals with DTs. Okay. Really nobody running a rig like I do, or even if I pull out my front axle. One of the, uh, one of the things I can tell you about hot shot freight, and, and this doesn't mean that it's good or bad. It's just something we need to be aware of. Um, the laws of supply and demand, you hear me talk about that all the time because they work. They can tell us a lot about a lot of things. Any job that has a lower barrier to entry, meaning it's easier for people to do that job and to get into that or a business, any, any job or business that has a lower barrier to entry, it's easier to get started. That will drive rates down. It has to. More people can get in. More people will get in. More people are qualified to do that job. It will drive rates down. So if we look at trucking, is it easier to get an F-350 and a flatbed and go pull hotshot freight? Or is it easier to buy a class eight truck and equipment and go pull hotshot freight? Obviously, it's easier to get the one ton. Yeah, it, it very little requirements. Most people can drive one of those things without any real training. I mean, they drive a vehicle all day long. That's very similar. All they really have to learn, and, and most of this is flatbed. They don't even have to learn how to back up all that well, really. Think about it. I mean, you drive around in a, in a dually pickup in a flatbed. There are a lot of people in the country who could get into that truck. Now, I'm not saying they would be good at it. All I'm saying is, could they get in that truck and go do the job? Yeah, there are a lot of people qualified. Doesn't take much. Now, you ha ha do have a bigger truck. It would be harder to get in, but you're competing for the same freight as those people. So you just have to know that rates in hotshot significantly lower. And here's the other thing. In trucking right now, we're facing a shortage of drivers. We have been forever. It looks like it's going to get worse. That's good for us. I mean, supply and demand will work in our favor. I don't know if you're going to see that in the hotshot market because there are just too many people that they lose their job. They could go do this. They, I, it's just very easy to get started. So I don't know that you're going to see the, the kind of rates ever in most hotshot freight. Now, again, remember I said earlier, don't look for absolutes. There are always exceptions. Somebody's going to send me an email saying they're getting 250 a mile pulling hotshot. Maybe they are, but it's not the norm. The norm is that rates on hotshot are going to be significantly lower because it's a much easier job to do. Right. I can see that. And my thing is, you know, again, I just put the load on the trailer here. And if I've got, if I've got 15,000 pounds on there, I'll probably spot with a couple. Yeah, and I mean, it, right at there's dollars a month on the go from Illinois to Texas. Yeah, if you can find that kind of freight and keep it on the truck, there are clear advantages. 
because your cost of operation can go way, way down. Fuel cost will go down. Maintenance cost will go down. Headaches will go down. Your equipment will last longer. Brakes last longer. Everything does. Pulling light freight is a great niche if you can develop that niche with good rates. And it's possible. It's going to take work. And, and I, I think you're doing the right thing. You're reaching out to people who can help you. Fits right in with my topic today. You're looking for a tribe. Now, if you spend some time looking around for a tribe and you can't really find one that's meeting your needs, what do you think the next thing to try might be? Start one. There you go. Absolutely. Why not lead one? That's well, always a thought. Yeah, you might say, well, I'm looking for people who know more than I do. And maybe I don't know enough to lead this tribe. You know what? You don't necessarily have to. If you start the tribe and you're a good leader and you stay active and, and people that know more than you will join the tribe and the tribe will get better. So it's nice if the leader can know a lot. I mean, that, that really helps make a great leader if they have good leadership skills and they're very knowledgeable. That's clearly somebody who could lead a tribe. But even if you're not completely knowledgeable in an area, you're interested in learning and, and you can show some good leadership skills, you could start a tribe and benefit from that. Well, that's what we're doing and trying real hard. I've got a good dispatch service right now. And so far, I've worked for them. They've uh, loaded me about four times last year and they do a great job. So that'll just well, make it a little easier. And absolutely. So I, I, you're on the right track. You're seeking the right things. I, what I don't want you to do is get frustrated and quit. Stick to it. It's not going to be easy. I could promise you that, but you might want to consider getting very active in being the center of that tribe, even if you're not necessarily the leader of it, what if you're just kind of the center of it? You, you said, you know, it's, it's the same people being active on the groups. That's always true. Well, if you get in and get active, that's one more person. That's how we get, and, and tribes take time, you know, look at the CMC as an example that has become, it, it's starting to become like a fraternity. Um, because people are staying in contact with each other. They're helping each other. They're learning from each other. But you know what? It's taken a lot of time. I mean, we've been doing the, I started working on the program back in 05. We're almost at a decade now of CMC, 10 years. In the beginning, they were very, very small. You know, the first time that I only had, I think my smallest might have been nine people. The first time I only had nine people show up for an event that I put a lot of work into and traveled all the way across the country to, to set up. First time I had nine people show up and my numbers were getting worse. I wanted to quit. I really wanted to quit. But I, I knew that wasn't the time. I, I was convinced that the program was good. I just had to find better ways to get people there. We did. But it took us a long time. But look at the momentum that group has now. It's amazing. Now I have to figure out how do we get more people involved with it without diminishing its uh, effectiveness. And that's a big part of what we're working on now. I will say that um, if you look at, you know, a lot of the things I've been talking about, willpower, habits, tribes, that 
things, a lot of our technology is, is having some negative consequences. There is no doubt that Facebook in many, many ways has drastically reduced the productivity of the workforce because people spend way, way too much time on Facebook. I'm guilty of it many times, and it, it's something I'm working on. But that's not to say Facebook could, isn't also a very, very powerful tool for good and for good change. And it's one of the best tools I know of right now to, to develop a tribe, Facebook groups. People from all over the world can access it. Since all these people are spending all this time on Facebook, we might as well start a group and try to get something positive out of it. You know, and, and people say, but there's too many groups. Yeah, well, what's wrong with that? So what if there's too many groups? That doesn't mean you have to join every one of them. Set some priorities. What is important to you? And then maybe that's a good group for you to be in. Maybe Facebook isn't for you. Maybe you need personal interaction. I don't know. But but look around and I can tell you that your behavior is far more affected by the people around you than you ever know. Let's go to Pennsylvania. Nick, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. I'd like to talk about consistency in numbers. Um, okay. I could say since I've started using um, profit gauges, uh, I have seen at least 18 cents a mile to my bottom line. Wow. Um, that's, out that's, that's a big number. It is a big number. Yeah, but that also that. leads me that also leads me into today's question and oh boy, I don't know. First okay. of the year, changed companies, bought a new truck, um, you know, made the made the big leap. Okay. And when I buy fuel and I get my receipt, it shows basically a cash price. We'll say just for number's sake, seven hundred dollars for fuel. Okay. When I get everything else, it shows me nothing for my fuel. Ooh, okay, hold that thought. We'll come back to that. That number, the number has to exist somewhere. We're gonna go find it. And and this is a very, very common issue that we deal with. We're even working on some ways that we can make it easier from our end. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothman. Uh, real quick, before we start the last segment, I'm going to let you know at the end of this segment, I'm going to say goodnight. I've got to get out of here, all that stuff. Don't go away because we're going to come back and record another hour. Right now, it looks like we have plenty of questions. We probably won't get to them all, uh, but I'll do my best. Here we go. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the phone calls before the break. Oh, you know what? Before I go back to Nick, and I am going back to Nick, I didn't forget this time. 
Um, I want to mention one more thing about the influences around you, since that's been my theme on this show. The one thing I didn't get to be very, very careful of the media you consume, the news, uh, the books you read, the TV that you watch, even when you think that, hey, this is just relaxation time. And, and I had to look at my behaviors. Uh, we are very, very influenced by media as well, even when we don't realize it, even when we think we're watching something that isn't really important at all. It still has a huge impact on us. At my downfall, I believe, after what I've learned, um, when I watch TV, I tend to watch true crime. I tend to watch... Uh, more documentaries, but I also tend to watch a lot of our uh, reality kind of TV. Now, most of the reality TV I watch shows like Intervention. I, I'm fascinated by drug use and drug addiction. Uh, like I said, true crime. Those things have a very, very negative impact. And, and again, I want you to go read the book because I don't have the time or the ability to explain it as well as the book can. But what happens when we see negative information in, in many, many forms, we start to make bad decisions in areas that have nothing whatsoever to do with what we just watched. Now, I, I sit and watch an hour of intervention where these people are almost dead from their addiction. They're so bad. Research shows that because I was watching something so negative, I mean, now, one of the reasons I love the show is because I love seeing people triumph over that kind of adversity. And in most of the cases, these people do go on to be sober and they beat their addiction. And, and I thought, Oh, but this is inspirational. You know, when I look at the show, though, the show is about uh, 50 minutes of all the negative behaviors and then about three or four minutes on the triumph of how they've overcome it. I'm being much more influenced the negative part of that show. And research shows that after watching that show, I'm much more likely to eat junk food. Um, spend more money that I don't need to spend, skip exercising. You would think, but what does that have to do with? It doesn't matter if it has anything to do with it or not. The research shows that's how our behavior is affected by those things. If we watch the news and the news is always depressing, we're much more likely to make bad decisions that have nothing to do with what we just watched. Just be aware of that. All right. So I'm going to go back to Pennsylvania. Nick, you still with me? Yes, I am. All right. So this is a very, very common thing. So there is one price that you we think we're paying for fuel at pump. But because you have a discount program somewhere, there's actually another price that you're going to be charged. Correct. Is that what we're talking about here? In in so many senses, yes, but it does not show up on any type of paper or reports. It has um, to. And I and I've contacted uh, I use com data. <laughs> The only Hold way on. I know it is to go a previous balance on my card, and then after I fuel, that's how I determine what that number is. That's what I write on the back of my receipt because that's what I paid at the time. It comes nothing through my carrier that I lease to or anything. 
my question is how do I... Okay, go to your question, and then I'll probably have some questions for you. Go ahead. How do I put it in the profit gauges? Do I put the, say, $700, or do I put the $500 because I got a $200 discount? Because I only have a receipt to prove if I ever get audited for the 700 That's not true. I guarantee you I could audit your records, and I could come up with the exact number you paid for fuel, the real number. And you just gave me one way. And I'll bet there's more. You said, well, I can take my last balance, you know, subtract this balance, and then that's what I spent. I've seen a lot of com data paperwork. Don't you get a card activity statement? No. You might want to ask com data why not, because I know they can produce it. Here's the thing that number has to exist because somebody is charging you, somebody is getting paid based on that number. So it has to exist somewhere. We just have to figure out where you you figured out one way. And if that's easy enough, I just keep using it. But to answer your question, you absolutely have to use the discounted number. Anything else is cheating. You didn't pay $700 for fuel. You can't deduct 700. You only you only paid 500 or, you know, using your example, you have to use the discounted amount. And lots of people think, oh, boy, if I can't figure out what I really paid for fuel, the IRS can't either. Bullshit. I could, I guarantee you, I can get your paperwork and within an hour at most, I would figure out exactly what you pay for fuel every week. And in an audit, the IRS will do the exact same thing. This is not hard for somebody who understands numbers and accounting. Now, you may be newer at numbers and accounting and and you're saying, well, boy, I can't find it. It's there. And you did find one way to figure it out in an audit. They'll figure this out every time. So, yeah, to answer your question, we have to put in the real number, which is the discounted amount. Now, what's the best way of doing it? What's the best method entered in a profit gauges? There are a couple different ways. And my best advice is if you haven't figured out a way that you really like, call us and and we'll get Brittany on the phone with you and she'll help you walk through in real time. She can even log into your account and We can screen share. She'll walk you through the different ways you can do it. And then you can pick from the method you like. Now, because we know people have to deal with this a lot, we actually, uh, Aaron and myself and the programmers, we're kind of brainstorming on a way to maybe make this easier for everybody. We have a couple methods, but we want to come up with a a better method to say, here's how to do it. and, And we'll even do it for you. Just, you know, set it up like this. Uh, so we are working on it, but we can give you two or three methods right now that will work really well. Okay. Uh, and like I said, um, the company supplies the ComData card, but there's absolutely no paperwork from ComData or anything. And that's why that's why my question was, how yeah. do I do it? I'll calculate it. I'll put it in. Then I know my numbers are right if I ever get audited. Yeah. And you might want to go back to ComData and ask them if, if there's access to that other paperwork. The other paperwork exists. It has to. Every time ComData processes a transaction, they will process it as fuel, fees, and cash advances. And, and somewhere that breakdown exists. They have to know what it is because they have to pay the fuel stop. And they have to give you your cash advance and they have to take their fee. 
those three numbers, all go, that money goes to different places and somebody knows where it all went and what the amounts were. So okay. you, like you say, you already have one method and it's working. So use that for now. I would contact Comdata and, and see if a lot of times they'll say, oh yeah, we're not going to print it, send it to you, but there's access online. Uh, so just depends. Uh, different carriers have different arrangements with Comdata. Uh, but the, to answer your question, to answer everybody's question, don't cheat on this one. And it is cheating. If you think you're getting away with something, you let me even tell you, the odds are you could get away with it for years. It's still cheating. And if you do get audited, you will get caught. I promise you. Unless you've got the worst auditor in the world, then I guess that could happen, but I wouldn't count on it. To Nebraska, Karen, welcome to the program. Good evening, Kevin. How are you today? Good. What's on your mind? I wanted to talk to you. You talked about that you were doing this sleep study thing with yourself. You had this nifty little machine. Yes. And um, does it pick up Lisa when she's there and, you know, when you guys are sleeping or does it just pick up you? Uh, just me. Let me tell you, because I'm testing multiple devices. You know me. I want to find the best device, the best method. So at the moment, there some nights are going to be really funny. Um, the device that I'm testing right now, the newest device I have sits next to the bedside. It's not attached to your body. It's not touching you at all, but it needs to be within arm's distance. If you get any further than that away from it, it, it won't register anymore. So it absolutely doesn't register the person next to you. It won't register your dog. Um, your dog could possibly block it if it got in between you and the machine, but it, it's, it's measuring the way you breathe. And there's been enough research that, that breathing can absolutely tell you what sleep cycle you're in. So, one of the, so I've got other devices too. I have one that actually you have to strap on your head. Um, it literally reads brain waves and some other things while you sleep. So I'm testing that one against the one you don't have to wear. And I'm also testing all of the wearable bands that also track sleep. And I'm going to do side by side. Some nights I'm going to go to bed with two bands, one on each wrist, the thing on my head and one next to the bed. And I'll see what's most accurate and, and what works best. So I wish I had more time, but the music's playing. I've got to get out of here. We'll pick this up later. Stick around. Jonesy's up next with the all-night truck stop. You're on the road, dog. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Good night, everyone. All right, we're going to uh, start a second hour here, so here we go. Your money, your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome back. Welcome to the program. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let's Truck.com.
The show is all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, business in general, trucking in general, personal development, self-improvement, fitness. We'll cover just about anything you want to talk about here. You give me a call and we'll see what we can do. And I'm going to get to those calls in just a little bit. Um, at the end of the last show, I had a question about the, the sleep study that I'm working on. And I'm working pretty extensively on this. I, I'm uh, reading a lot on sleep. I'm testing multiple devices. I talked about the wearables or some you actually wear on your head. Although I have one I bought a couple years ago and just dug out of the closet and started testing again. But unfortunately, the company went out of business. So, and I actually liked that one. Although you had to wear it, and that, that can be a little bit of a problem. There is a new device that sits next to the bed that I'm testing, and I'm also testing wearable uh, fitness bands like the Fitbit, the Jawbone, the iFit. There are literally hundreds of these things on the market, and some of them track your sleep. I will say that right now I'm, I'm using the uh, Jawbone 24, and it kind of sucks when it comes to sleep. It's almost not even worth using uh, for sleep tracking at all. Now, for tracking my activity through the day, the number of steps, the number of calories I burned, it seems to be doing a pretty good job at that. But I'm going to be testing multiple devices, telling you what my favorites are and why. So stay tuned for that. Uh, and also what we do with this. How Once we track it, how do we then improve it? And I'm going through a pretty extensive course that takes all my data each night and then helps me decide how to improve my sleep. I can tell you already, though, that in less than two months, my average scores, sleep scores from zero to 100 in the beginning were mostly in the 60s. On a really good night, I might get above 70. I had some really bad nights that were down in the 50s during the holidays. Uh, now, I am almost in the 80s every time. Big, big improvement already. And, and that's just in a couple months. I, I've got a lot more I want to work on. I'd like to consistently get into the 90s. Uh, so we'll, uh, we'll keep you updated on that as we go. Let's get to some phone calls tonight. Let's start off in Florida. Jim, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. What can I help you with? Yeah, okay, go ahead. I got two questions for you. One on these sleep studies, this thing you're working on, how's a, a mattress figure into to that? Oh, critically important for some people. Um, and I think this might have a lot to do with, you know, past habits. There are some people who can sleep good on anything. You know, they could, and my son's like this. I used to be like this. I used to be able to sleep almost anywhere. Uh, under any conditions and sleep really well. Uh, but I screwed up my sleep cycle so bad that now I literally have to ha get my environment perfect. You know, very, very dark, very cool for me, um, white noise, but, but not any other kind of noise, or dead quiet. But dead quiet is really hard to achieve. So white noise tends to work better for me. And a really, really comfortable mattress and pillow. 
I've tried a lot of different beds over the years, water beds, high-end mattresses. I had I used the sleep number bed for years and loved it. Um, now I have a Tempur-Pedic, one of the really high-end Tempur-Pedics, and it's amazing for comfort. So it, it's personal, but if you are having trouble with sleep, your physical comfort is a big part of it. So you want to figure out what makes you comfortable. Is it a firm mattress, a soft mattress, uh, a mattress that keeps you cool, a mattress that keeps you warm? Everybody's a little different. But if you're having trouble sleeping, you really do want to address how comfortable you are in your environment. Do they have any recommendations for mattresses then, or is this just a personal preference? <laughs> I think it's very personal. I will say that of the mattresses I've tested, I think the sleep number bed is probably one of the most universal because you can change it so much. You know, you can run it down really, really soft or you can adjust it up to being like rock hard if you want it that way. Most other mattresses, you better figure out what you like in a mattress before you go buy it. The Tempur-Pedic, for example, has a very, very firm feel to it. You know, it's not plush and cushy and it, it feels very firm. I tend to like firm mattresses, so it works for me. But if you liked really soft, cushy mattresses and you bought a Tempur-Pedic, I think you'd be disappointed. So okay. probably, like I say, the sleep number now uh, in, in trucks, I've heard, is it Sleep Dog? I think that makes a mattress for the trucking industry. That might be right. Um, I've heard a lot of good things about that mattress. Uh, but you can also, you know, I, I think you could probably get some of the better mattresses um, and, and make them work in a truck too, whether it's a sleep number, a Tempur-Pedic, or just a, a really good high-end mattress. You know, with a little bit of ingenuity, I think we could put almost anything in a truck. Right, right, right. Okay, my second question is uh, at the Dallas Truck Show, some guy pulled you out of the aisle into the Rand McNally booth? Yes. How's that working out? Uh, not sure yet. Uh, Do you remember I, that? <laughs> I, I remember. Here's what I can say. That I have developed a tremendous amount of respect for that company. And here's why. I have been bashing them for years about the, the problems with their hardware. I've said I like their software, I like their features, but I can't get past the problems with their hardware. And I have just beat them up royally on the air to tens of thousands of people, their customers. And yet they have never taken it negatively. They have always reached out to me and never said, hey, stop bashing us. You know, you, that's not true. They've never done that. They've never gotten defensive about it. They've always reached out to me and said, Kevin, we heard what you said. We understand. What can we do to make it better? Or here's what we're doing to make it better. What do you think? So because of that, I, I just have a tremendous amount of respect for them as a company. They may not be perfect, but they are absolutely willing to listen to people and try to be better. And they have been getting better and better. So all of the GPS manufacturers, the truck models, are either releasing new versions right now or they're going to be in the next couple of months. Everybody's scrambling to make sure they have their new versions out before Louisville. And other than that, 
All I can say is I would wait until Louisville to make a decision. That's and that's all you know, I'm allowed. All I'm allowed I, to say right now. I gotta tell you a story. You know how you say things happen for a reason? Yeah. Well, I was standing there talking to him that day and they said we was talking about you actually. And they said, God, we want to get a hold of him. Then I see you walk by and, and grab Jarm and pulls you in there. It was kind I of did. funny. I know. And I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. And <laughs> who knows who knows what might come from that. Well, I, I knew you passed them for a long time, and I, I got to that one in uh, Louisville, too. Yeah, yeah and that, that now. one they reaching out to me. You know, my listeners would go up and talk to them, and, and they started reaching out to me, and I was impressed. I yeah. mean, I really was. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I they told me they wanted to get, I'll get a hold of you. Yeah, I hesitated to reach out to them because I thought, they're not going to talk to me. They're going to hear my name and hang up on me, and I wouldn't blame them. Um, but they oh. didn't. That impressed me tremendously. They they sought me out to help them. Their public relations is second and none, as far as I can see. Well, I, it, it, they do a lot of things right. There's no question. And and I really think it was a shame that whoever made their early hardware decisions, I think, was the bulk of their problems. It wasn't oh, customers. Yeah. It wasn't their features. It wasn't their software. It was their hardware. And it, it, it hurt them bad. But again, to give them credit, they are working hard to make up for that. Oh, yeah. Their public relations is second to none. I've, I've found that with them. Okay. Well, that's all I had. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks for the call. Uh, I'm looking at the clock. We're going to uh, get to a break here. We are, we're talking about sleep. We're talking about goals. We, uh, last show, I talked a lot about tribes. We can continue on with that. I'm reading a really good book now, probably one of the best books I've read in about 10 years. Uh, it's about willpower. And uh, I'm even so impressed with the book. I'm taking a college course based around the book at Stanford. Now I'm doing it online, obviously, but I'll be starting that in February. Uh, first week, I believe, in February. And I'll keep you updated on how that's going as well. And of course, everything I learned through this course, I'll try to pass along to you so you don't have to spend all the money to go do it. But I would highly encourage you to go get the book at least. And if you really like the book, you might want to consider the course as well. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Ruff. Hey, why did you think I didn't have enough segment? Oh, not for the whole day, just the first show. Okay. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The number to join us, 8888 Road Dog. The website is letstruck.com, and I'm going to get right back to those calls. Let's go to 
Wisconsin. Chet, welcome to the program. Yeah, hi, Kevin. Hey, thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. What's on your mind today? Well, uh, I have a friend of mine that I grew up with and was in the military, and he's getting ready to retire out of prison guard system. And uh, he wants to drive truck. And I guess I'm just wondering, is there any tax ramifications or anything like that? I need to know if I just take him and teach him how to drive truck and not pay him anything? Because he doesn't really want to get paid. He just wants to learn without having to, you know, spend the five or $10,000 for a trucking school. So I yep. said I'd have to call and get some. Yeah, which I think is a, a great idea. Um, I think he'll get far better training than he would have at a driving school. It won't cost him as much. You can make a little extra money probably to having another driver around. Uh, so I love this. I think it's a great idea. No tax ramifications whatsoever. All the IRS cares about really is when money changes hands from one person to another. That, that, that's usually a taxable event. Anything else, if money isn't changing hands, the IRS doesn't care much. Okay, so then probably the other thing would be insurance costs, then, I would guess. Yes. Yeah, you do want to run this by your insurance, no question, and get him approved and, you know, figure out what that's going to cost. And, you know, and you two could come up with some sort of a financial arrangement one way or the other. And taxes just wouldn't be a big deal either way. Um, but if no money really changes hands between the two of you, then there really isn't any difference in the way you're going to be taxed. Okay. That's all I wanted to know. Cause I, I really want to help him out. And I just told him I'd try to figure it out. So he doesn't have to spend the money on school. And he doesn't need the money right away. Now he's just going to actually do it. Uh, yeah, I love it. You know, in a lot of ways, I love the fact that you're willing to help somebody. And I love the fact that he's smart enough to know. Hey, just because I don't get paid to do this, there's a tremendous amount of value here. I, I've done things for years and years and years. I do them free. And most of the time I do it because I can see there's an advantage to me. I mean, I, I like to be a nice guy and do things for people. But most of the time, if I do something for free, it's because I can see some other advantage that it's going to create. And in this case, he might not be getting paid for his work, but he's getting better training and it's not costing him anything. Yeah. And as far as helping out, you know, you and, uh, you know, Kenny Long and Chad Bob, Rico and everybody that's in the tribe, you know, they, they really do help. And, and it is uh, because I'm a better businessman now because of that. So it is about paying it forward to it. And, uh, and then being able to run your business profitable enough that yeah, I could take a chance on this and, and go for it. So just uh, thank Absolutely. you all for what you're doing. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, and, and I want to make a point about that because I actually finally bring that up right now. Um, I had some notes here that I was going to talk about in my open, and then I decided to just go to the calls. Um, we are growing and expanding all the time. We want to get better and better at what we do. We want to be able to reach more people, help more people. We also want to make a lot of money. I, that's what we're in business for. And the more money I make, Honestly, the easier it is for me to help more people. Uh, for example, a couple of years ago, when we were really, really struggling um, to get things off the ground and we were spending a fortune on our software programming and a lot of other things, and every week was, you know, can we make payroll this week? I, I couldn't help much. I mean, I, I could come on the air and give free advice at the time, but I, I, other than that, there wasn't a lot we could do because didn't have the resources to be able to do it. Well, fast forward, you know, 
several years and financially we're a much, much stronger company now. Uh, a lot of our products and services have matured and they're bringing in regular cash flow. We're still spending a fortune on programming, but it's a much smaller percentage. It's actually more money now, but it's a much smaller percentage of our revenue. And we are able to do more and help more people. And I want to continue that. One of the areas that I've always looked at is I get right now, and, and this is not an exaggeration. If I look at the different places that can receive emails or messages, whether it's my email inbox, Facebook, Facebook groups, Facebook instant messaging, Twitter, LinkedIn, um, our website, all of these places, I not exaggerating, I probably right now have somewhere between four and 5,000 requests for something, a question, a comment, an opinion. I can't possibly keep up with them as an individual. But I've always looked at as a company, could we do better at responding to these things? Now, we don't make any money doing that. And I, I don't want to charge to do that. That's cumbersome. And I, I just, I want to be able to offer that advice and help more people. I have to figure out how. Well, now as we're growing, I have more resources. I am currently hiring somebody to handle all of our social media, posting, tracking, statistics, things like that. That person could also be a part of helping answer and respond to more things online. If we get into a good enough position, I could hire somebody to do nothing but answer questions. Even though we don't make any direct money from it, I know it's good business. I know we can help more people, and I know we can grow the tribe. So that's our plan. I will tell you, if you like that idea and you want to be a part of helping and, and you know, take this for what it's worth, many people will criticize this, but I don't care. The best way you can help us help other people is buy our products and services and support us financially. And, and I don't want you to do that just to do it. I want you to do it because those products and services have a lot of value. And if you find value in that, fantastic. But just know, every time you buy something from us, subscribe to something, even support our sponsors helps. Um, but supporting our products and services directly allows me to take those additional resources and create more programs where we can help more people without charging for everything. I don't want to have to charge for everything. I would love to be able to take some of our shared resources as a tribe and pay it forward and help more people. The best way you can do that, support us financially. Uh, our, our whole network, our new podcast network, the shows he just mentioned, Kenny Long and Chad Boblett, Rico Muhammad and uh, Kim Cockerham here on our team, uh, Mike Beckett, Kevin Beckett. We're growing a lot of shows on that podcast, and I can tell you it is costing a lot of money. Now, ultimately, my belief is that network will pay off tremendously someday. I don't see it happening for a couple of years, really. It's, it's going to be like our software. We're going to have to invest a lot of money, several years, and then hopefully get to that payout. In the meantime, though, anything you do to support us financially helps us build those projects out just that much faster and help more people. Let's go to uh, 
Pennsylvania. Brian, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Um, I have some questions about trailer aerodynamic enhancements, and, and if you have time, I have two other questions. Sure, go ahead. Um, I was just curious if you had numbers as far as uh, the skirts, the tails, the under trays, nose cone, and if you can use all four of those together or, or, or not. Wow. I have some answers for you. I don't have a ton of hard evidence. Most of the hard evidence today comes from the companies that sell the products. And even when they do third-party testing, we just have to be careful. But I, I can tell you that I'm not really convinced by most of the big fuel mileage testing stuff I see. And the reason is because I've done a lot of fuel mileage testing over the years. And much of what I see come out of these tests, it just doesn't make sense to me. I, I don't know how they're getting results that nobody else seems to or not getting results that everybody else seems to be getting. Um, there was one big test up in Canada where they took a lot of aerodynamic devices. And it, a lot of publicity came out of that test because their numbers were way off from every other test that had been done. And I thought, how did that happen? And I, I can't figure out. I read through. I, I don't know why. Uh, fuel mileage testing is really tricky. Testing aerodynamic devices is even more tricky. Here's why. If we're testing rolling resistance, rolling resistance pretty consistent all the time. Two things, three factors maybe account for rolling resistance. The tire itself, the road surface, and the weight. That's it. Those, those are about the only three variables when it comes to rolling resistance. So it's much easier to control those variables, see them, and account for them. Does that make sense so far? Yeah. But let's look at aerodynamics. There's a lot of variables, and we can't see them. Wind direction, wind speed, wind temperature. We, we can't see those things, and they're very hard to measure in the real world. There, it requires a lot of really intense computer simulation, wind tunnel testing, which is outrageously expensive and almost nobody does anymore. So aerodynamics are tricky. That's our first problem. When I come back, I'm going to tell you what our second problem is around aerodynamics. And then I'll try to give you my best answers based on what I know. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rothman. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. Before the break, I was talking with Brian in Pennsylvania about aerodynamics. Brian, you still with me? Yes. Okay. So our first problem in aerodynamic devices is testing is more difficult than many other areas because there's too many variables that are really hard to control in the real world. Lots of studies now are starting to point out the fact that skirts 
in some cases actually hurt fuel economy. Strong crosswinds, skirts are not a good solution. They cause as many problems, maybe more than they help. In a true headwind situation, skirts actually absolutely make a difference. No question. Um, trailer tail, no question makes a big difference. Probably has the biggest effect of any device that we put on the back of the trailer. I'm not a big fan of it, though. I think it's overly complicated um, and they're getting better, but it's there are some issues. So our first problem is testing is extremely difficult, lots of variables, and a lot of people just don't understand how to test aerodynamics properly. The second big problem is we have very little experience in this industry with aerodynamics and, and especially trailer aerodynamics. You know, Kenworth with the Anteater, the original T600, really kind of broke ground on truck aerodynamics. That was the first really major change. Up until that point, Freightliner had experimented with, you know, slanted windshields and some other really small improvements. But the T600 was the first big leap. And since then, we see company after company after company try to improve on that. Every year, the OEMs come out and say, we now have the most aerodynamic truck on the market. Trailers, we ignored trailer aerodynamics for decades and just recently started working on this. And the problem is we just don't know much. And there aren't many people in the country that know much about trailer aerodynamics. Um, Smart Truck said, okay, if there aren't many people in this industry that know trailer aerodynamics, who does know aerodynamics? So they went to aerospace, um, racing a lot of the racing fields that have been heavy into aerodynamics for years and years. And they recruited all the best minds from those other fields that had lots of experience in aerodynamics. And they're working hard to try to apply that knowledge and develop products that actually work. We will see huge improvements in trailer aerodynamics over the next decade because we're just now starting to learn it. My problem is, we tend to lump whole groups of products together. We say, do skirts work? Well, hell, how many different skirts are there on the market? And you make one little change to the shape of something, and you could have wiped out all the aerodynamic benefits, and nobody knows it because they're not testing this stuff. That's my biggest problem with most solutions on the market right now to trailers is that you're on your own. The testing just doesn't exist. The testing that does exist, I've looked at it. I'm not all that confident of it. I just think we need more time. After looking at all the testing, I, I settled on Smart Truck and I'm sticking with them. I, I talked to these guys. They do more testing than anybody. They have better aerodynamic engineers than almost any other company I've looked at that's producing products. Now, there are some other exceptions. But I think they're on the right track. They're, they're looking at the trailer as a whole. And as one company, they want to build all the solutions so that they work together. Because that's the other problem we have in aerodynamics, is that just by changing the truck that's pulling that trailer, we just change the aerodynamics. So one solution that seems like it works great if we pair it with a different type of tractor, we'll get totally different results. 
You put a trailer that's got all kinds of aerodynamic improvements behind a classic, and you won't see nearly the improvement that you'll get if you put that trailer behind a really aerodynamic truck. On the other hand, take a lousy trailer, put it behind both those trucks, and you don't see much difference at all. Lots of variables. This is going to take us some time to learn. So anybody, including me, that tells you they have all the answers on this stuff is just lying. We don't. We need a lot more research. Okay. Hopefully Thanks, Kevin. Do you, oh, do you have time for two more? Uh, try one, and then we'll see what happens. Okay, real quick. A C12, a 12.7, and an N14. Is there any standouts as far as what RPM they're best ran at? Yes. The uh, Although... Most of the, all of those engines are smaller displacement in the general rule of thumb doesn't always apply, but the general rule of thumb, the smaller, the displacement, um, like you said, a C12, that's a 12 liter engine. 12, seven is a 12 liter engine. I'm pretty sure an N14 is a 12 or 13 liter, but they're all fairly small displacement. Now I think that that's our ideal size. I don't think we need 15, 16 liter engines at all, but these are, in today's world, these are smaller displacement engines, so they tend to run slightly higher in RPM. If you go to the really small diesels, they run way higher in RPM. You go to bigger diesels, they run much lower in RPM. Uh, but for the most part, the 12.7 really likes to run around 1,400, um, 1,350, 1,400. The, the further away from that number you get, the less fuel economy you're going to see. The 12.7, just because of the way CAT designs their engines, even though it's small, does like lower RPM than the other two. Um, the C12 will run around 12.50 and, and get really good fuel economy. And the farther away you get from that number, you're going to see some decrease. And the Cummins is probably somewhere... You know, that, that the N14 tends to run similar to a 12.7. So probably maybe 1,300 to 1,350, just slightly higher than the CAT, slightly lower than the Detroit. Okay, thanks. Um, real quick, I just want to confirm some research. Uh, nine speeds, you can convert them to what amounts to a proper 13 is that for about two grand? I've heard. I know you're usually not up on prices, but. Well, actually, that's a price that I don't I don't study a lot, but people tell me all the time that they're having nine speeds converted for less than 600 bucks. I mean, I've seen it done for 300. Just it. Now, here's the thing. Not all nine speeds are convertible. So you do have to make sure that the nine speed and you, I would do it by model number only. And I would verify with Eaton or whoever that that nine speed is convertible. If it is convertible, it is a true 13 speed. No difference whatsoever. The conversion is pretty cheap. And it's one of the things that I absolutely recommend doing. It's worth the, the cost in almost every case. Let's go to South Carolina. Doug, welcome to the program. How are you today, Kevin? Good. What's uh, on your mind? Lisa, well, Lisa gave you my numbers, uh, my year-end numbers for 2014. And 
I don't like what I see. Hey, you know, it's interesting. My, my first question was going to be, how do you feel about these numbers before I ask? So I'm glad you told me. I don't like them. I think the expenses are way too high and the net profit is way too low. I agree. And, and you've even identified it. I wouldn't focus too much on revenue. Your revenue is good. It's not outstanding, but it's good enough that we should be able to generate far more profit than what you're generating. And it's always easier to work on expenses. Expenses are much more in our control. So that's where I like people to focus first. And then ultimately, we could come back and talk about revenue. But I, I wouldn't put much attention on revenue right now at all. Well, first of next month, I'm going to be cutting $4,200 from expenses because I'm in the process of relocating from the East Coast to the center of the country. So I'm giving up the garage that I've been renting to keep my car in when I'm on the road and my truck in when I'm at home. Okay, that's a good start. So there's there's 4200 off of the expenses right there. Uh, come October 1st, I'll be cutting another 1600 a month in expenses because the truck um, will be paid off. Okay, good. Let's do a quick exercise that, that kind of helps us start to learn how to visualize numbers and changes. And here's what I mean by that. You ran roughly 100,000 miles last year. It's 105. Round it down to 100,000 miles. And if we knock $4,000 off of 100,000 miles, in our head, we can see what it does to our cost per mile, right? Oh, yeah. That's a fairly... And if we knock 1,600 off, now we know we're up to you know almost six cents a mile to our bottom line. So sometimes if we do some rounding, we can visualize. And that's what I think helps people with numbers is if they practice some of these things. That's why I kind of stopped you there. But I'm going to get to a break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk more specifically about your numbers right after this. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. We're down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to the calls. I was talking with Doug in South Carolina. I'm going to go back to that call. So real quick, just to recap the math there, um, you're running just around 100,000 miles, so I'm going to round it off. You mentioned that you could lower an expense by, what was it, almost 4000 a year on the garage? Is that the right number? 4200 on the garage. So that means that we will lower your cost per mile by right around four cents a mile. And the 1600 is 1.6 cents a mile. So we're almost at six cents a mile now in just two changes. And that's pretty significant because right now, 
your net is 23 cents a mile. Six, six cents is a pretty significant change to that number. It, it's like 25% improvement. Yep. So just something so simple of knowing the numbers and looking at expenses and saying, what could I do to make it better? Now, you're like me. I, I'll move if I have to. I, I have no problem moving to get a better business opportunity or change the, you know, when I moved my trucking business the first time from Ohio to Florida, my expenses went down dramatically. Uh, I didn't have the harsh winter weather to deal with. So my fuel mileage stayed better all year long. My maintenance costs stayed way better because I wasn't dealing with that kind of weather. And some people don't like this, but this is supply and demand in the economy. It was much less expensive to hire drivers in Central Florida than it was in Northeast Ohio. I was actually paying them more than than the average, way more than any other job around them paid. So they were happy. I was certainly happy. That to me sounds like a win-win. You said, why, why do I have this garage? Why don't I just move somewhere where I don't need it? I like that. Exactly. Uh, so I'm I'm going to be rent, I'm renting an apartment uh, on the outskirts of Louisville. And I've got more than enough space in the apartment where I can keep all my business records in there. And I've got plenty of off-street parking that I can park the truck. I can park my car. I can park my motorcycle. Excellent. I think those kind of decisions make total sense when it comes to business. So looking at the specific numbers, um, you probably already know this, but the one area you absolutely have to get under control is fuel. Yes. You were at 60 cents a mile for last year. And we literally had people who were getting under 40 for the whole year last year, even though at the beginning of the year, we had very high fuel prices towards the end, it came down. So that helped everybody lower their cost per mile. Some, um, but well, you have, you, you have to break, you have to break out that fuel cost because that includes reefer fuel. Okay. All right. Are you tracking act, it separately? Act, yes. The actual fuel cost that I've been running, uh, my 90-day average right now is 48 cents a mile. Oh, way better then. Way, way better. So, yeah, you're, you're already uh, making pretty good headway there. Um, you pay a lot of lumpers. Oh, yeah. Grocery warehouses. Oh boy. Okay. Just uh, the nature of the beast. Nine cents a mile going to lumpers. Yeah. Um, so you may want to, again, we're focusing primarily on expenses, but this is one of those areas that if you wanted to lower this expense, you actually probably are going to end up changing the revenue side as well uh, because you'd have to look for different kind of freight. So yeah. just, just know that that one's out there. It's pretty big. Your maintenance costs look good. They're at 14 cents for truck and trailer. That's outstanding. So I don't see that I would put much effort into that area. You can always look at it, tweak it a little bit. Uh, but primarily, you have three areas that are making the biggest impact. Uh, one of them, you already said, truck will be paid for. So that goes away. That's fantastic. That will... Um, that will help a lot. Um, actually, 
I was way off on the, I when you said the truck payment was going to save you 1600, you meant a month. Yes. I calculated by the year. My god, was I off. Um yeah, that's a monthly. You're going to save 17 cents a mile on just the truck payment alone. So your 23 comes up to 40 plus the four cents on the garage. Now we're up to a, a much more respectable number. Uh, 44 starts to get us in an area we can start to get excited about. Um, so it primarily right now, your equipment payments, one of them's going away. That's going to help. Um, your lumper fees, you may or may not be able to do anything about that and your fuel cost. Those are the biggest areas I would focus on. And what I've been focusing on over the past uh, month and a half now is I've been focusing on increasing the revenue because I know that the rates that I'm getting through the carrier I'm leased to are abysmal. I mean, they've been, they've been giving me loads sometimes, including fuel surcharge, $1.30 a mile. Oh, yeah. And I've, I've been looking for my own freight lately, and, I, you know, they permit me to do so. Oh, and good. So far, good. So far, the least expensive load that I, the least paying load that I have booked for myself, including fuel surcharge, is $1.89 a mile which is well above the average for last year. So we know every time you book one of those loads, your numbers are going to get better. So if that's the case, the load load I'm doing right now, 9,000 pounds refrigerated load, two drops. So what? I had to deadhead 400 miles to pick it up. It's paying me $2,400 on 1,200 total miles. Excellent, which is excellent. So I wasn't aware that you had the ability to choose your own loads. I thought this was pure carrier. So, yeah, in that case, work on them both at the same time, then, which you're already doing. I can't wait to see your first quarter numbers. I think they are going to blow away what you did last year, which is exactly why we do all this stuff. Let's go to Idaho. Mike, welcome to the program. Mike, are you with me? Maybe, yes, no. Uh, Going once. Well, it sounds like somebody's there. Mike, I'm going to have to put you back on hold. And you know what? I'm probably not going to be able to get back to you because we are just about out of time. I would like to take one more call before I wrap this up. But I I do want to remind you about our new podcast network. We're adding new shows all the time. The easiest way to find it, just go to letstruck.com. In fact, our website is constantly being improved. We're trying to make everything available right from letstruck.com. We have a lot of stuff going on on the internet. And I, I don't want to have you to have to chase around to find it everywhere. So we are trying to get much, much better at staying organized and getting everything easier for you to find. I'm going to squeeze in another call. Let's go to South Carolina. Stan, welcome to the program. How's it going, Kevin? Uh, the guy that was going to learn his friend teaching to drive, yeah. um, I've been thinking about doing the same thing with my brother. But I'm having a problem with insurance, getting an insurance company that will cover him uh, once he gets his permit to drive, to learn to drive, 
Oh, I'm not having a problem with insurance. That is a problem. Always is. Um, insurance. I'm just wondering if you had any suggestions. All My only suggestion is just keep trying. This just takes persistence. Now, you can certainly, um, if you're active on social media, Facebook and those kind of things, you could certainly keep posing the question to other people. Who is your insurance agent? Does anybody have a company that's allowed them to train students before? I mean, that's a good source of maybe finding new companies to try. But the only real answer to this is you have to keep talking to companies and applying till somebody says, yes, we'll insure him. Okay. All right. That's all I had. I was just up against that uh, problem and I was going to do the same thing, you know, uh, Trained my brother, and uh, the insurance was the only hold up I had. But I appreciate it, and I'll keep digging at it. You're welcome. Here's the one thing I can say to many of the things we face all the time. Um, people tell me all the time, I can't find that pre-emission truck you're talking about. I can't find a carrier who will let me have a truck older than five years. Um, I can't find an insurance company that will cover me with my own authority. I can't find an insurance company that will let me train a student. Those are problems, no question. I can tell you the single best thing, the, the biggest tool you need to overcome problems like that, just persistence, pure persistence. Keep asking other people, keep applying to companies, keep looking, keep reading, keep calling, keep searching. Pure persistence will overcome those kind of problems. I'm all out of time. No matter how much I persist, I can't stay here tonight. They won't let me. Much as I'd love to, I got to go. Uh, thanks for joining me. We'll see you back here next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Rothbard. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.